0: This is a podcast from the Business Times. Hi there everyone. I'm Genevieve Kwa, wealth editor of the Business Times and host of this podcast, Wealth with BT. Today we'll tackle a subject that's somewhat unrelated to portfolios and investments. We're going to look into prenuptial agreements between couples about to tie the knot, and also touch on post-nuptial agreements. Between married couples. Are prenuptial agreements recognized in Singapore? Most people are convinced they won't stand up in court. When I brought it up to friends and contacts recently, some say vaguely that it's against the legal framework governing marriages here, including the Women's Charter. What's the deal here? Are prenups recognized? Are they getting more prevalent? Why are couples entering into prenups and sometimes at the urging of their families? We have a guest in the studio, Ivan Chong, head of the Divorce and Family Team withers Qatar Wong in Singapore. I'll introduce Ivan more fully in a very short while. I'm often intrigued by the subject of prenups. I read about famous people having prenups, entertainers and ultra-wealthy business owners. And of course, their prenups make headlines because the famous couple is splitting up and fighting over children and assets. I started out this podcast saying this topic is off the beaten track, but in the context of legacy planning and succession, a prenup or postnup may potentially be an important tool for families who have multi-generational wealth in mind. They want to reduce the acrimony that often arises when couples break up and mitigate the potential dilution that a divorce can cause to family wealth. Think about it. A successful entrepreneur may have built a great company. He has liquid assets, but much of his net worth is tied up in his company. If he splits with his wife, or it could be vice versa, he or she could claim a big share of both liquid and company assets. This could cause a huge upheaval. Wealthy families also have exposures to many jurisdictions, like where they live, buy assets, bring up their children, and where their businesses are based, without a prenup which draws a line on what is due to each spouse when they split. These various jurisdictions could cause enormous complications when a breakup turns nasty and litigious. My guest Ivan Chong is with Withers Katar Wong, With Us Worldwide recently hosted partners who are heads of their respective family practices in the UK, California, and Hong Kong, and of course, Singapore. This event was on family offices, but four partners, including Ivan, sat down with me to talk about prenups, and I got a good bird's eye view of how various jurisdictions view conjugal and non-conjugal assets in the context of prenups and divorce. I found it fascinating as head of the divorce and family team, Ivan often advises clients on the drafting of prenuptial and postnuptial deeds. His profile says this, that he recognizes that where parties have significant premarital assets, an agreement on how such assets are to be divided in the case of a divorce, sets the framework for trust and understanding for a successful marriage. He also works with founders of startups and venture capital firms who seek his advice on drafting prenup and post-nuptial deeds prior to funding rounds or the setting up of new companies. Thanks for coming by into the studio, Ivan.
1: Thanks for having me, Jen.
0: We often read about prenups involving famous people, but hardly in Singapore, even among the more famous personalities here. So there's this common perception that prenups are not recognized by the courts here. Where do prenups stand legally, and are they really becoming more acceptable?
1: Prenuptial agreements are valid if the necessary formalities are met. Four main categories. The first, parties need to be independently advised by separate legal counsel. The second is that there should not be any misrepresentation or duress. You cannot be forcing the other party to enter into agreement perhaps like a couple of weeks before the marriage or making some threats to say that if you don't go ahead with the agreement, I'm not going to get married to you. The third, where parties have made full and frank financial disclosure, they need to be able to understand what they're entering into. The fourth, the terms must be fair and reasonable. They cannot leave one party in desperate need or being out of pocket. So the terms must treat the parties fairly and it cannot penalise one party over the other. Prenuptial agreements, however, are not automatically enforceable. That we don't hear a lot about prenuptial agreements, even in Singapore. The reason really is that most parties would like to keep the terms of the prenuptial agreement, where they also disclose their assets which they've agreed to keep and hold separately, confidential. It's very common that prenuptial agreements often have a confidentiality clause. When then do you hear about prenuptial agreements? It is really when things go south, of course there's a divorce, and a party disputes the terms of the prenuptial agreement, But prenuptial agreements have been around for a long time. These days, it is more prevalent. Being viewed as a slightly less taboo subject to bring up, it is a more acceptable topic. Parties are able to sit down, discuss and agree, and even anticipate or recognize the need for prenuptial agreement. They understand the rationale for prenuptial agreements asset preservation, financial certainty, a transparency with regard to their financial affairs and how wealth generated during the marriage or wealth that's accumulated prior to the marriage, both in the form of generational wealth or founders who are entrepreneurs and they've built up their companies and they want to ensure that moving forward, that the future which they have for their companies is not going to be jeopardized. So having a prenuptial agreement would cover these four main aspects. How parties conduct themselves during the marriage after the prenuptial agreement is signed is a very important factor because they're not just entering to an agreement, having it done and dusted, and then forgetting all about it. One of the recent cases which highlights this, almost 16-year marriage, local couple. They were married 15th of September 2003, and they did enter into a prenuptial agreement which was executed ten of September 2003. At that particular point of time, prenuptial agreements were even rarer than they were mm. now. Fast forward, parties then filed for divorce. The wife, who was contesting the prenuptial agreement, said that court should not give any consideration to the prenuptial agreement because the husband had departed from the terms of the agreement. The court said, okay, it recognised the fact that there was a prenuptial agreement. The court did give weight to the prenuptial agreement, but it did not give conclusive weight. It did not enforce the terms of the prenuptial agreement in its entirety, The prenuptial agreement provided for inheritances which the parties would have received as well as certain separate property which was in existence prior to the marriage premarital assets to continue to remain each party's separate properties marriage is an evolving thing and there were children, the husband in this case made certain representations to the wife to say, okay these are our assets even if it was a separate property which would have been his and continue to have been his. As per the terms of the prenuptial agreement, he classified them as our net worth. He told the wife to say, don't worry we'll use them for the benefit of the family. He took certain monies which he had received from his inheritance, he deposited them into a joint account account which was used for the family's benefit so for these reasons uh, when it came to the court the court said okay it's not fair to give full weight to the prenuptial agreement because you yourself had through your actions your words your conduct represented to the spouse, in this case a wife, that these were marital assets. And in reliance on that fact, she conducted her own financial affairs. So I think that's a very important point. No one's saying that marriage is going to be static, but where there are going to be any changes and if parties want to depart from the terms of the agreement, they should think about it first and then enter into a post-nuptial agreement at that stage so that they can be certain that whatever they have now entering into would not negate or detract from the earlier protection which was given in a prenuptial agreement.
0: So, prenups are often associated with wealth, but increasingly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there are less wealthy people who actually consider and enter into prenups.
1: I would say prenups are not the exclusive domain of the very wealthy. The younger ones are also doing a lot more prenuptial agreements. There are three main categories. One, the younger couples, they have that perception that marriage is still an important institution for them, but it's no longer a death to us part kind of thing. They view marriage as being a partnership of equal efforts. They appreciate that kind of transparency and to have that conversation, what they envisage, how they'll both be contributing to the marriage. If the marriage breaks down and they're not able to reconcile, can we walk away from this without that uncertainty? The second one, protection of the family wealth. You want to ensure that the transfer of generational wealth is in accordance with how the family views it to be. You can. And often, we do have dynastic trusts, certain tools in terms of wealth preservation to ensure that the wealth is distributed in accordance with how the family wants it to be. But you can't plan for the marital relationship or the breakdown So that goes hand in hand. In these cases, the couples might not have significant wealth themselves, but they will stand to get a lot or they stand to gain in terms of significant inheritance or they might be involved very heavily in terms of the running of their family's business. In this case, the idea is to ensure that the family's wealth is still protected, that there'll be no chance or very little chance of outsiders or the non-family member being able to stake a claim. Those founders, the entrepreneurs, they are successful in their own right and they're very clear with regards to their vision. So in these situations, what they want to do is to ensure that their legacy and the direction or the view which they have for their company is not going to be affected in the unfortunate event of a marital breakdown.
0: Still to come. Some couples find money discussions very awkward. Prenups, in particular, are entered into in view of a possible divorce. Can prenups actually enhance a marriage? Join senior correspondent Leslie Yi on property BT for insights to help you on your property investment journey. Every fourth Thursday of the month, with your trusted partner for property information. Go to bt.sg slash podcasts to download. And now. Back to Wealth BT from the Business Times. Among families, it's common to grow roots in more than one jurisdiction, or it's very possible. How do families ensure that a prenup travels well?
1: Well, Jen, you don't expect a family to just be in one location or to be staying in a particular jurisdiction. They have assets all over the world, or even sometimes, often, the couples have different nationalities. So, It's important at the outset to identify what is going to be the lead jurisdiction. There are various factors. For example, one would be the nationalities of the parties because that would affect their domicile, the possibility in terms of which jurisdiction they would be able to file for divorce, the intended residence. Some of the most important factors to consider for international prenup in the immediate future Where does the family, where's the couple intending to stay for the foreseeable future identify based on their nationalities or their intended plans in the future where other potential jurisdictions are? It is not viable to have a prenuptial agreement which covers every single jurisdiction in the world. What you do in a case like that would be having identifying what the lead jurisdiction is, whether there are any formalities which are specific to a particular jurisdiction certain jurisdictions require a prenuptial agreement to be registered prior to the marriage before it's recognized. Some require parties to elect whether they're opting for a separation of property regime or community of property regime. In Singapore we do not have this kind of marital regime. Get the kind of advice and input from family lawyers in all the relevant jurisdictions to ensure that you have a document which satisfies all the necessary formalities, such that in the unfortunate event of a divorce these most likely jurisdictions are going to be covered. If you know that there's going to be a major life decision coming up, major change, it might be good to revisit the prenuptial agreement.
0: Earlier, we talked a little bit about dynastic trusts. How can prenups work with trusts? What conditions need to be present so one doesn't nullify or contradict the other?
1: They should work hand in hand. Ideally, a trust and a prenuptial agreement can and should be set up together. Often though, either trust might already be in existence, especially in the case of family trust where it's a dynastic trust, or parties might have entered into a prenuptial agreement first and then decide to set up a trust. So trusts protect the assets which are settled in a trust vis-a-vis a third party. Prenuptials and postnuptial agreements from the Asset Preservation Angle set out parties' agreements on the asset such that it dovetails the agreement between husband and wife that in the event of a divorce, Those assets as per the agreement, whether they're settled in the trust or not, will be protected and they will not be divided. If you have a trust but you don't have an existing pre- or post-nuptial agreement, come a divorce, the court might still view the assets which are settled in the trust as being part of the pool of the marital assets to be divided or at the very least a financial resource on the part of the spouse who is a beneficiary of the trust. On the flip side, if you have a prenuptial agreement, you may or you may not have a trust. Trust would give an additional level of protection. It makes it very clear that the husband and wife no longer the legal owners of the assets which are settled in trust. It gives an additional level of preventing any potential commingling of the assets with marital assets. You need to identify how the two can and do to work together. If you have a prenuptial agreement and you have a trust which is set up, the prenuptial agreement will often reference the trust and expressly provide that such assets which are settled in the trust or any distributions which a party might receive from the trust, is not going to be part of the pool of marital assets to be divided, multi-generational dynastic trust. It could stipulate that if any of the intended beneficiaries intend to get married, they must first execute a prenuptial agreement if they are going to be recognised as a beneficiary. Generally speaking, the terms of the trust and the terms in the prenuptial agreement, postnuptial agreement, should not be contradictory. We often work very closely with trust lawyers to ensure that the terms are consistent.
0: Mm -hmm. Money is often a taboo subject, and to even approach the subject of a prenup may be pretty nerve-wracking. How can prenups actually strengthen a marriage, if at all?
1: It's such an awkward conversation Mm -hmm. to have. Having that conversation at the start, while awkward, if it's done correctly, Approach it with honesty, with transparency. And having that conversation at the start means that you're able to deal with what's often viewed as a prickly and sensitive subject. And you don't feel that you need to hide away any kind of assets. This is the reason for why I'm asking for a prenuptial agreement for generational wealth. You can blame other people. You can blame the family. Say, it's something which my family needs. What I usually share with clients is come from the angle of a prenuptial agreement being a comprehensive life insurance or estate planning. No one hopes to get a critical illness, to be stricken with cancer, but parties go and do it anyway because it's prudent. Same thing for estate planning. The only difference between divorce and death is that death is a certainty. Just because we are having a potentially awkward conversation does not mean that I'm wishing that before we are even getting married, that we are going to get a divorce. Or number two, that we think that it's going to be an eventuality. So if it's smart, it's prudent, having that discussion at the outset can increase the trust that the couple have in each other and pave a way towards greater understanding.
0: Mm, Thanks for sparing the time to come down to the studio.
1: Thanks for having me, Jen.
0: As we've heard from Ivan... You could think of a prenup in the context of an estate plan, and it's not unlike insurance. You do it to try to manage a risk. You don't have to use it, but it's there just in case. I hope you found this episode insightful. Until the next episode, thank you for listening. This is a podcast by The Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.